There is no woman in the country who we are not trying to reach. These are makers. This is makers. Las primeras. These are makers. This is the makers. This is the makers podcast. Hi, welcome to the makers podcast. I'm your host Amanda McCall, and today we're talking about money. Okay, imagine you're at work. Look around at all the guys in your office. Do you know how much money they make? The guys who do the same job as you. How much do they make? How does it compare to what you make? If those questions send a shiver of fear down your spine, then I'm very glad you're listening. According to the latest statistics, chances are those guys are making at least 20% more than you're making if you're a white woman. If you're a black woman, those guys are making 40% more than you're making. And if you're Latina, those guys are making 45% more than you're making. And this is not just in the corner offices of corporate America. No matter what industry you're working in, whether you're a carpenter, an actor, a surgeon, or a soccer player, there's a very good chance that if you're a woman, you're making less money than your male counterparts. And not only are you making less, you're also less likely to ask for a raise. But before you get too depressed about this, just remember, even Oprah Winfrey has struggled with this issue. I was one of those people who didn't call myself a feminist, but I don't think you can really be a woman in this world and not be. It felt radical to me at, in the early ages of my development. And it was not until 1980 that I really came into my strongest feminist beliefs because I then recognized that women were not making as much money as men. It hadn't occurred to me because in 1976, I was always under the, I'm so glad they're giving me a job. I'm so glad they're giving me a job. I've been working since I was 19 years old in television, 16 years old in radio. I was getting paid $22,000, and the guy who I was co-anchoring with was getting paid 50. So I went into my boss, and I said, he's getting paid a lot more money than I'm getting paid, and we're doing the same job. And you know what my boss said? He said, you're a woman. Why should you make that much money? And I said, well, because we're doing the same job. He says, I don't think so. And I did not get the raise. I didn't get another dime. I knew that if I filed a lawsuit, if I complained, I would have been blackballed and I would have never gotten another job. That is when I made the decision. I thought, mm, I'll show you. And I did. And then I began to understand that in order to get people's attention, you got to blow a loud trumpet. You got to beat the drum loudly. And that nobody listens to you when you go quietly into the night. That was a deciding factor for me in me owning my own show. I wanted to be able to be a real, true feminist in that you own your power and you take responsibility for it. I'm willing to gamble on myself so that I will be the one to say who gets what paycheck. About 10 years before Oprah Winfrey was asking her boss in Chicago for a raise, a young tennis player was about to face her own battle for wage equality. Her name was Billie Jean King, AKA the notorious BJK, AKA Tennis the Menace, AKA Queen King. 
Now, you don't have to be a tennis fan to appreciate Billie Jean King. I, for one, can't tell a backhand from a back foot, and still I consider King to be one of my biggest heroes. Here is the story of Billie Jean King. King was born in 1943 in Long Beach, California. Her father was a firefighter and her mother was a housewife. She and her brother Randy were natural athletes from the very beginning. My mother said we moved in her womb and when we were born, we never stopped moving. The third word from both my brother and me were as ball. Ball mommy, ball daddy. We learned mommy, daddy, and then ball. I mean, it's just totally makes sense looking back that we never stopped and we loved to play sports. King and her younger brother both excelled at playing baseball at a very young age. By the time she was 10, King was already playing shortstop on a high school softball team and helped them win the championships. Both siblings dreamed of careers in baseball. For Randy, that dream became a reality. He went on to play Major League Baseball as a pitcher for the San Francisco Giants. But for King, this childhood dream quickly faded. When I was nine years old, uh, on Mother's Day, we went to Wrigley Field in LA. And as I was sitting there, it dawned on me that girls don't play baseball, only boys. And I was not, it was not a happy day for me at all. Realizing that her gender prevented her from pursuing a career in baseball, King refused to give up and started looking for other ways to pursue her athletic dreams. In fifth grade, uh, Susan Williams, who was sitting next to me, loved sports. And we ended up playing all sports, and sometimes we'd end up being captains, even though we're two girls. And one day in class, she just said, you know, she looks at me and she says, do you want to play tennis? And I go, what's tennis? And she says, you get to run, jump, and hit a ball. I go, those are my three favorite things in sports. I'll try it. So I went to Brown Sporting Goods, and I read every tennis book, all three of them that I could find in the library. So I go out to the public park, and at the end of the day, I said to my mom, Mom, I found out what I'm going to do with my life. This is it. King spent every day teaching herself how to play tennis on the public courts of Long Beach. By the time she started taking formal lessons, it was obvious to any instructor that she was extremely gifted. And within one year, King was competing in national tennis tournaments. What she saw, or rather what she didn't see at those tournaments, had a profound impact on her life. After I started playing actual tournaments at 12 after a year, I had an epiphany at the Los Angeles Tennis Club, and I just remembered something was wrong, that everybody who played tennis was white, the clothes were white, the shoes were white, the socks were white, the balls were white. And I remember asking myself, where is everybody else? Then I basically formed my goals in life through that, and that was to fight for equal rights and opportunities for men and women. That was going to be my life's work. And that's when I was 12. Five years later, King became the youngest player ever to win a women's doubles title at Wimbledon. And by the age of 23, she was the top-ranked women's tennis player in the world. I really love tennis. I don't like it. I love it. When I play, I feel I can do anything. I feel freedom. In 1968 was the first year that we actually got prize money. It didn't even dawn on me that we would get less. Rod Laver won Wimbledon, he got 2,000 pounds in 1968, and I got 750 pounds. And I went, <sighs> You had the men starting to talk about an association or a union. And I went to them and I said, you're going to include the women, right? And they said, absolutely not. 
we don't want you. Get lost, basically. King became an outspoken advocate for wage equality in tennis. In 1970, women's professional tennis was officially born with nine female players known as the original nine. They each signed $1 contracts with world tennis publisher Gladys Heldman. And the players, including King, would compete in a brand new women's tour called the Virginia Slim Series. In 1973, King founded the Women's Tennis Association, uniting all women's professional tennis players in one single tour. That same year, using her standing as one of the world's most popular tennis players, she threatened to boycott the 1973 U.S. Open if pay equity was not addressed. The tournament met her demands, and the U.S. Open became the first major tennis tournament to offer equal prize money to men and women. That is the birth of women's professional tennis. And our goal was we wanted any girl born in the world. If she is good enough, there's a place for her to play and make a living. A lot of people don't think we're going to make it. I had guys tell me that probably nobody would ever pay even a dime to watch us play. It's a match that's being billed as an epic battle of the sexes. The battle of the sexes was a nationally broadcast tennis match pitting former male tennis champion Bobby Riggs against King, who at that time was the best female tennis player in the world. The discrepancy in prize money between male and female players had led King to start the first women's professional tennis circuit. As an emerging feminist force, King was an irresistible target for Riggs, who was a misogynist and pretty proud of that fact. The male is king, the male is supreme. I've said it over and over again. I still feel that way. Girls play a nice game of tennis for girls. Bobby followed me around for three years, and I kept telling him no. So he went to Chris Everett, he went to all kinds of players, kept asking him, well, let's play a match. He asked Margaret Court, she said yes. So she ends up losing, badly. There it is. Bobby Riggs wins 6-2, unbelievable. So I knew I had to play him. The match between King and Riggs was heavily promoted. Riggs created a spectacle everywhere he could go, all over TV and media, baiting King and boasting about his impending victory against her and, in turn, all women who tried to be equal to men. We're only in our third year of women's professional tennis. A lot of people don't think we're going to make it. So this is huge. I knew I had to win. What a scene it is. Probably more than 30,000 people are in this arena for an all-time record tennis audience anywhere in the world. And here comes Billie Jean King. And she's got the fans here tonight. My strategy was hit the ball as softly as I could, so he had to generate all the power. I drop-shotted, I lobbed, I floated one, I went to net, and I was going to run him into the ground. But look at how Billie Jean King has been running him over the court. And that's been her principal tactic, to wear him down. Oh, I was so relieved. I was so happy. The winner of the battle of the sexes, Billie Jean King. By that night, it wasn't about tennis. It was about history, and it was about social change. King won the match, and what's amazing about it is she didn't just win the match, but she won it in front of an estimated 50 million people who watched on televisions across 37 countries. King has continued 
to be an impassioned advocate for women's rights. Since King won the battle of the sexes against Bobby Riggs, she has continued fighting because, guess what, the fight isn't over. It wasn't until 2007 that Wimbledon finally became the last Grand Slam tournament to implement pay equity between male and female athletes. 2007. This was a battle that was won thanks to the continued efforts of Serena Williams, who, like King, is not just an astonishingly talented tennis player, but is also a leader in the fight for gender wage equality and social justice both on and off the court. When you oppress people, either by gender, by race, by sexual orientation, when you do that and the doors become ajar, they will fly open and they will come and they have. Since King's historic win against Bobby Riggs in 1970, there has been progress for women in tennis and other industries. On average, women today make 20% more than they did in 1970. But that's a slow growth rate. If we continue at this rate, women will not achieve equal pay for equal work until the year 2059. The future of income equality is in your hands. If you've been meaning to ask for a raise, today's the day, ladies. Do it. In the words of feminist icon Beyonce Knowles, the best revenge is your paper. Thanks for listening. And to learn more about Oprah Winfrey, Billie Jean King, and other groundbreaking, money-making women, go to makers.com.